Miller. Come on up. They're going to help me move this out of the way so you can see. If we would have lit, um, let me think, the hope candle, we might have lost it by the, this time, huh? So one of you light the hope candle. That's the shortest one. That's the one we burnt the off, most often. And now you light the peace candle, which is next. Here, let me turn that so you can get to it. There we go. Oh, let, let's light yours. There we go. You hold that one and we get it lit. Well, there we go. And now love. Today we're going to light the, the joy candle. Can you reach that? Without burning yourself? They're hard to light, aren't they? Perfect. Let's see if it's going. Is it going? Hey. And then we're going to light the middle one, which is for Jesus. That's a short wick, too. Oh, perfect. Good. Thank you, girls. Thank you. You want to blow? Yeah. Okay. So we have hope, peace, love, joy, and Jesus. Advent, I enjoy Advent a great deal. I enjoy Christmas a great deal. Now, I don't enjoy how most people live at Christmas. And I, as I was thinking about today's sermon, I was thinking about joy. And what is it that makes joy? How do we, how do we have joy? And how is it that Jesus coming to earth brings joy? Uh, Turn your copies of the scriptures to Matthew chapter 2. And, oh, I, one other thing I just thought of. Um, first of all, thank you, Wayne. Last Sunday was just good. After Sunday uh, services, you could hear this buzz of people talking. And for those of you, uh, they will take very special care to serve the food so it's safe. But thank you, Wayne, for overseeing that and having our church, Wayne and Mary, connect a little more over those things. The other thing is there is a drive-through nativity this evening at Berlin Mennonite. I encourage you to, if you want to go see it, from 4 to 6, um, Liz Beam, Liz uh, Slabaugh's uncle uh, Steve, who has been to church various times, will be King Herod. And so if you see King Herod, give him my neighborly greetings. Uh, we're going to talk about King Herod today. But if you want to go, that's a, it's a wonderful thing to take your family, go to Berlin Mennonite, and it's a drive-through. Now, that spurred my thinking. I think next year we ought to do one in Charm. Let's do a, a, a live nativity next year in Charm. I think, it, I think it would, maybe, you know, we could sing, the rest of the church sing. Let's do that because that, people will come. The Amish people locally will come to that if we hold it in Charm. I'll work with Kimes or whoever we need to to get a space and uh, somebody have a baby about a month. No, just kidding. Uh, uh, well, we'll, we'll have some animals and some things there. We'll, we'll try. Let's, that, I think that would, if people knew locally here that Providence was doing, I think that would just go a long way. And uh, it'd be a fun thing for us and our children to engage in. Um, anyway, we, we can talk about those details. And I made another note to tell you about something, and I can't read my own writing. So if I get to it, we will. So uh, Matthew chapter 2. Beginning at verse 1. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose before them, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, what about the Christmas story intrigues you? Oftentimes we have these kind of spirits. The wise men intrigue me. And by the way, I remember what my note said. The 21st star. On the 21st, uh, Venus and Saturn will be aligned and it will create a star, a star effect in the, in the lower sky that you can see. So take your children outside, look it up, take your children outside. But perhaps it was something like this, but this was something special that the wise men saw. Now, um, and, it, and then they rejoice with great joy, it says. Now, think into, let's go into the story a little bit and think about the story a little bit. These wise men, by the way, it doesn't say there were three. It just says wise men, plural. They brought uh, three different kinds of gifts, so it could have been more of them. But these are kingmakers. In, in the ancient world, there were, there were, peop- there were men who were um, uh, not, I wouldn't say astrologers, but prophets maybe. Who, who were able to make kings, and they would go, and if a child was born to royalty or so on, they'd have a special service where they'd make a king. And apparently these wise men, God sent a sign, and these wise men came. Now, it, again, they come, they do their thing, and you don't hear from them again. But it's a special part of the story because of what they did, and I, we want to look at what they did that parallels to what God is calling us today. But notice it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And that is the only place in the, uh, there are other places where it talks about joy, but apparently there was something really powerful that moved them, that brought them to this place. Now think about this, they're they're kingmakers, probably wearing royal robes, they come in. Uh, Apparently they're on the same level as King Herod, because he treats them as equals, and Herod treats very few people as equals. Um... Herod is a cruel, wicked man. And these, these, the, the wise men come, and they say, we'd like to, where is this king going to be born? Now think about what it does to Herod. Herod is there, and he, he's, trying to, he's trying to appease Rome, but he's also trying to, to be in charge. 
He's in this strange position. He dies in un, a, a weird death that we won't even look at today. But he, he's a, he is the ultimate dictator, despot. And the wise men come in, and, and, and they have an audience with King Herod. So that means, makes them quite important people. And they say, there's a king born. And Herod's ears go, whoop. And, and he says, uh, king, king, what king? He says, he's going to rule the Jews. Now, Herod has been having awful problems with the Jews. They are constantly rebelling against him. They have these strange practices following one supreme God. They don't swear allegiance to, to Herod and so on. But uh, the, the king of the Jews, and then uh, Herod calls these other people together, and he said, now, now, the chief priests and scribes, by the way, called them together. He said, now, I hear you're going to have a king. Where is he going to be born? He said, Bethlehem. And he will be, notice the prophecy, he shall come who will shepherd my people Israel. He will be a ruler that will shepherd my people Israel. And I was thinking about all of this and saying, well, how does that bring joy? Well, okay, let's just finish the story of the wise men. The wise men come in. Think, this, this is after, no longer in the stable. They're probably in a house, but this is a poor family. And Jesus has been born in these strange circumstances where mom and dad weren't even married in the allotted time that they should have been. And it's kind of a strange circumstances. And you hear a knock, and you go to the door, and there's three wise men, kingmakers there, and they're, they're bearing gifts. And they come in, and, and they, they kneel down in front of this baby Jesus. Now, already strange things have happened with this child, but uh, this is just strangest of them all. And they pronounce him king. It's his coronation. It's his crowning as king. And forever he will be the enemy of the rest of, of Herod's group, and of the chief priests and scribes. For the next period of 33 years, he will be their arch enemy. They'll always be looking for him, trying to capture him. But the point is, he's born. And it made the, it made the wise men rejoice. Now, I've been thinking about joy. How does one become jo- a joyous person, or joy-filled, or joyous? And uh, somewhere I laid my phone. And I need it right now, right here. I don't often do this, but uh, I couldn't get the printer to print this this morning. But um, scientists have looked at where joy comes from. Do you know that you have a place, a, a place in your brain? It's called the septum pellucidum. It's a nerve mass located above the brain's limbic system and directly below the uh, some, a bundle of brain wiring that connects the right and the left hemisphere. It's somewhere, if you put, take your finger and put it in about right here, about finger deep in your brain is this spot. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, it is one of the so-called pleasure centers in the brain, and it can elevate mood. And uh, when activated naturally, it can be activated naturally. Uh, runners here. Do you ever get to the place where you feel it kick in? You do? It's endorphins, right? They, they actually uh, move out of that place. Or they're, they're involved, they're engaged in that joy center. You can also, um, uh, you can stimulate it chemically with uh, cocaine or opium. That's, it works on the very same space. So don't worry, be happy. Marijuana does it too. You know, the age that I grew up in, that was the thing. Don't worry, be happy. Now, um, 
They're, 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 they've done experiment, uh, experimental cases in which patients suffering from severe depression become immediately uh, cheerful when that space was electronically stimulated in their brain. So there is actually a space in your brain that produces something, and it, it works on the, um, the level because it, it's in this place where the transmission between the right and the left have happened of your brain. It works on the neurotransmitters, and it spreads it throughout the brain. Chocolate probably does it, and many other things. Okay? So, so there is that place inside of you. God created us with the capacity to feel joy. Now, how does Jesus coming to earth move that space, stimulate that space? And I, I was thinking about all of this. Uh, by the way, I also recently reread a portion of a book called Surprised by Joy by C.S. Lewis. Any of you read that book? It's an amazing book. It's about his life journey. And he did not want to become a Christian. He was dead set against becoming a Christian. Didn't want it at all. He wanted to be a, a, an agnostic at best. And, uh, but then he started reading uh, J.K. Uh, Chesterton. And he said, if you, G.K. Chesterton, get it right there. If, if, you, if you don't want to become a Christian, don't read his books. And it moved him, and, the, and he said what surprised him more than anything else is what he felt. And he couldn't identify it, and he couldn't identify it, and he was trying to put words to it, and he suddenly realized that it was joy. And I, I was thinking about all of that and thinking about what is it in, in our world today? Now, we've had a rough year, yes, but our, our, something about our life has to be bigger than that. And I think it's the capacity to actually have joy in our lives. And, and let's just look at a couple things the wise men did. That, and by the way, I don't think joy is something that you can say, get up Sunday morning and say, okay, this morning we're going to have joy. And I don't think it's something you can kind of manhandle into being. Yeah, okay, buck up now, I'm going to have joy today. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy. No, no, wait. Anyway, um, I, we were once at a, a, a church service, Narita and I, with a group of SMBI students many years ago, and uh, it was about the deadest church service I've ever been in. And then the worship leader got up and said, now we're going to worship. Everybody get up and clap your hands. Well, the last thing I wanted to do was clap my hands after the first half of the service. And uh, I thought, worship, worship, okay. You can't, in, in some ways, joy is like worship in that it, it has to come organically. It, that space in your brain has to be tingled has to be moved. And what is it that actually moves that place in our brain? So I, I was thinking about this, and I, I thought uh, all the, the Bible passages that deal with joy. And uh, I, want, I want to read you one. Uh, this is in Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, this, the context of this is that, is that the, they had just, uh, the walls were just finished in Jerusalem. In Nehemiah chapter 8, um, they, they brought this, the law out and were reading the Bible. Now, does this happen in your family devotions? And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the, all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Now, now, get this. These people hadn't heard the Bible read, the, the law read to them in a long time. Now they're hearing the law read. And it makes them cry. They've had a rough time of it. The walls, they've had opposition. 
and now that suddenly they're realizing all the way they have to go to repent yet and everything. And Nehemiah and Ezra tell them, don't cry. Today is not the, the, the time to cry. He said, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine. What are you guys going to do on Christmas Day? Eat the fat and drink the sweet wine. Sure you are. We're, we're going to celebrate something. And send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. What else do you do? This is a time to give away to people who don't have what we have. And do not be grieved. Note what it says. Go, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine. Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Don't cry, don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and sent portions and to make a great rejoicing. Now I was thinking about that passage in relation to joy at Christmas and what the wise men did. And it suddenly struck me that what the wise men did, three things the wise men did that will actually... make something change in your brain. First of all, they made a decision to go after Jesus, to go find Jesus. And for all of us, when we make that decision to go after Jesus, something dynamically changes in our brain. That's why it's important to do, to actually consciously make an adult decision and say, Jesus, and it might need to happen every day. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, in this darkness, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, I commit my life to you. Jesus, I'm going to walk after you. When we do that, something shifts in our brain. I could also turn to that passage in Revelation that we read last Sunday. It says there, in, in, on, in heaven and in the throne room of God, there was great rejoicing. On earth there was woe. Why is there rejoicing in the great throne room of God and with the angels? Because they understand that Jesus is king, and, and he is now being crowned king as he's being born. And so when the, when the wise men came, the reason that they had great rejoicing when they saw Jesus is they recognized that he is going to be the king. And when we recognize Jesus as king, something dynamically shifts inside of us. When it's this true recognition that he is king, something, and, and what we understand is that we serve a king that is bigger than all the brokenness of our world. When Jesus came onto earth, like I said last Sunday, it was like D-Day. Now I stepped on my shoelaces. You'd love to see me trip off the stage. Um, anyway, so when Jesus comes onto earth, he's crowned king. And, and that has practical implications for us today. Because if Jesus is not your king, everything around will press in, and that place in your brain will become shriveled up. Because those things around us are not the answer. The true answer to life's persistent questions. That is found in Jesus. And so I think, it, the, like the wise men, we have to recognize that Jesus is king. The second thing, it says the wise men worship. When they got into his presence, they fell down and worshipped him. Think about this. These are magi, kingmakers. They've just been with Herod. Doesn't say they fell down and worshipped Herod, which is what ticked Herod off, by the way. But they come into this presence of this child, this baby, less than a year old probably, and they fall down and they worship him. Now I think that 
Joy is not something you can manhandle or produce, but I think it's a natural result of us acknowledging that Jesus is king of the universe and secondly, worshiping that king. When we stand here together and sing, when you worship, when you read scripture, why do you do it? Because it does something inside of you. It changes your outlook on life. You know, I, I, I've kind of had a, the last 12 or 14 hours, and I've had some rough spots this week, and, and some of you have too. You've told me already this week. But there is something that happens when God's people stand together and sing, they pray, they read Scripture, that changes inside of us. And we have to be humble enough to admit that we need that. And then worship. What does it mean to worship Jesus today? Okay, so we gather together. What does it mean to worship Jesus tomorrow? What does it mean to worship Jesus when you pour concrete? When you put a roof on? When you lay floor? When you milk cows? When you build furniture? What does it mean to worship in those moments? I think it means that whatever we do, we do well and good and we give the glory to Jesus for giving us the gifts to be able to do those things. I just think that we have probably um, seen worship as what happens Sunday morning in church, and again, that can happen there, and it often does. But you, just like joy, you can't produce uh, worship. It has to come out of our hearts being opened up slowly, and that place in our brain being opened up slowly. Never disconnect your brain and your heart and your body from each other because you're whole and it requires all of you to really truly follow Jesus and to worship and so when we worship it opens up our, our, our heart and our brains to actually experience joy so we follow him we worship and then I think the third thing that the wise men did that produced joy in them was they gave gifts there's a reason we give gifts at Christmas. The Western tradition of giving gifts at Christmas comes from this passage of Scripture. We give gifts to each other. We give gifts to the less fortunate. Last Sunday, I walked out to our vehicle, and there was a gift on our vehicle. And uh, on the way home, I pounded the steering wheel and said, Thank you, Jesus, for the gift. And it was, just, it was this moment where I could actually... I was all by myself, by the way there was this moment where I could say thank you. And when we give to other people, it does something in them, but it also does something in us. That's why giving, like at church, the offering, that is not a practice. It is an act of worship. Giving to people is not a practice. It is an act of worship. And so as we go into the Christmas season, and we think about all the hoopla surrounding Christmas. When you have those moments when you can think this week, think about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to worship Jesus? And what does it mean to give back to Jesus the good things he's given us? Because when we give back, what we're actually doing is acknowledging that we've been given to. And when that, when that happens... There is something that, that those neurochemicals are released. Have you ever had that feeling, of, that kind of good feeling, 
when you've given to somebody who is in need and you've given them something they need and you're like, huh, you ever feel that? Maybe some of you don't. Maybe you don't give it. Oh, no, yeah, anyway. Or a child. Give to a child and just watch the unbridled joy as they see that gift. See, there's a reason we say unbridled joy and all those things about joy. Because true joy is unbridled. It comes out of who we are. And so when we think about peace, our, our hope, we think about our hope is in Jesus. We think about peace and how that true peace is found only in Jesus. He has come to bring peace to the world. We think about love and the fact that God sent his son to die for us. And we think about joy. Joy is just like all the others. It is something that happens as we relate to Jesus. As we connect to the true joy. The joy of God sent to earth for us. Let's stand together. Worship team.